Hello, podcast listeners. You are listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home. I am your host, Corbin Johnson. Today, I'd like to talk about the implications of all cards becoming printable. I am a big fan of it, and I will be approaching it more from a standpoint of things you might not have thought about. In the meantime, a listener gave us a call responding to some thoughts we had on affiliation and their flavors, if you will, in um, second edition. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Hi, this is Jonathan, or Triumph, on the Trek CC forums. And I was inspired after listening to Charlie's call talking about affiliation, flavor, and mechanics and stuff to ponder the subject more. And, uh, decided I would arrogantly share my opinions on the matter. Um, so I decided I would name off the, what I think are the top three TUI affiliations in terms of consistent mechanical flavor, um, in terms of how they maintain that under the continuing committee's direction. Um, I'll leave out factions that have been created by the CC because they just haven't been around long enough. They're like online holograms or relativity. They haven't developed enough beyond their creation to judge whether they've been consistent in their mechanical flavor. And I'll also leave out affiliations where the CC's done a lot better job than Decipher at making interesting mechanics like Starfleet um, because even if the CC's done a better job, it still means that they haven't maintained a consistent mechanical flavor all through that affiliation. Um, there's some affiliations you might think about, like Klingons or Voyager, but it's not so much that the, yeah, the CC design era has stayed true to an original identity for them as it is that uh, they just haven't made enough cards, you know, enough Klingon cards or Voyager cards to make an impact. So um, honorable mention um, of the top three affiliations for mechanical, you know, consistency or theme, mechanical flavor. Honorable mention goes to Mirror Starfleet. Um, you know, they were a small sub-affiliation created in, uh, what, in a Mirror Darkly, I guess. And the Continuing Committee's only added a few cards to them. Uh, but they did a great job. Starship Defiant, um, and the matching commander for that. And I thought maybe there's something else I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, really were excellent additions to what was already a really, I think, unique and fascinating, mechanically distinct sub-affiliation. And the CC did a good job of adding to that. Um, okay, so moving on to number three is the Dominion. Uh, the Dominion's old theme of caring about different species, um, has pretty much endured, yeah. In the CC or in the in the Decipher era, they mostly cared about, you know, Jim Hadar and Founders, Changelings and, and Vorta. Um the continuing committee kind of broadened that. But overall, you know, historically the Dominion seems to have cared uh it has had you know a greater number of cards that cared about species than a lot of other affiliations did. And that has continued to be the case. You know, uh, you know, kind of pushed that somewhat um, you know, one of the expansions that the CC has done. But overall, uh, that is, you know, caring about species, it seems to be a Dominion thing, and that has stayed true from the Decipher up to the present. Um, you've got the new Breen that also stayed true, the original Breen flavor of caring about four-cost personnel, or being four-cost. Um, the Tulaberry Wine Bibber Dominion, you know, the, the, the Tulaberry Wine Gang in the Dominion is some ways a departure from traditional Dominion, but they retain a lot of the, still the Dominion caring about uh, different species and bringing more species diversity to the, to the Dominion. 
So I really don't think they're actually that much of a departure, just kind of exploring a different direction within the Dominion's overall species diversity theme. Uh, the CC has also preserved the Dominion's um, infiltrator sub-theme. So that's another way in which uh, the Dominion has been pretty strong in um, mechanical flavor. Number two of the, the affiliations that have, you know, throughout their history, deciphered a CC era, maintained mechanical consistency and flavor, is the Ferengi. Um, under the CC, the Ferengi, by and large, have continued to care a lot about rule cards. They've continued to care a lot about cards under Ferenginar, um, manipulating those, putting stuff under, using them. Um, and so those are kind of long-time Ferengi themes that have persisted under under the, the continuing committee. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the Ferengi did fail with the, the past Ferengi thief team, but uh, overall the Ferengi have been uh, mechanically uh, distinct and, and consistent. The number one strongest affiliation in terms of mechanical consistency is uh, TOS. Except for Genesis that was, you know, a screw up by Decipher, I guess, um, TOS has always faithfully adhered to a, a mechanic of when you play this card, you can modify the cost and something happens. Um, there was the creative variation with the motion pictures crew, but even that was still very much in flavor, mechanically consistent and cohesive with the overall TOS affiliation. There's no other affiliation in 2E that has been as consistent um, with with a mechanical you know theme and sticking with that as TOS. So uh, that's my, my top three affiliations for mechanical consistency. Number three, Dominion. Two, Ferengi. Three, TOS. Um, and hopefully more affiliations will become like them um, as design is, you know, doing this phase two thing with trying to promote that kind of thing. Um, thanks for listening to my jibber-jabber, uh, Joel Untrue. Oh, thank you so much for that. This is uh, really exciting stuff to talk about, actually, uh, especially because the uh, ability of second edition to be just so good at making a group of cards have so much flavor that is different from other groups of cards is fantastic. And I think it's one of the strongest points of second edition that makes me come back to it over and over again. Players are starting to say they're getting, they're, they're getting, they're thinking this, the game is getting stale. And maybe it is, maybe it is, but um, I, I've only been playing a couple of years and there's affiliations I haven't played yet, like Ferengi. And I want to try them out because they have these interesting mechanics that are way different. And Maquis, you know, I think, it didn't make his list, but uh, it, it's definitely an, uh, an affiliation that has a lot of flavor in it. So, uh, yeah, so, great. I love second edition for this. But uh, today I want to talk about the implications of all cards becoming printable. And in my opinion, uh, we are at the dawning of a new era, the, uh, the dawning of the Age of Aquarius and all that. Um, <laughs> we we find ourselves at a crossroads, right? Uh, we, we, have, we have been for some time allowing players to play uh, sec, uh, all, all Star Trek games for free online. And because of that, you are not only allowed to play the game for free, but you are also allowed to use any cards you want for free. All it takes is for you to download a software application and download some cards that we very easily maintain. And bada bing, it doesn't matter if your platform is Linux or OS X or even Windows. 
you can very easily, I, I, there might not be a Linux port, I know I think about it, but, um, so it's not free, but most people already have gotten past that barrier to entry. So what remains, um, as long as you know the game and want to play the game, you're allowed to play the game for free. And we are going to maintain it as volunteers into the foreseeable future for no cost. So what changes? Um, so all cards are printable. So that paradigm is now the actual paradigm. The only cost to uh, the only cost barrier players have anymore is do you have a printer and are you willing to spend money on ink? Ink is not cheap. It's not free, right? You uh, notoriously, you see comics and um, funny things from comedians on it all the time, where they're saying that you know the cost of ink per uh, unit uh, rivals that of um, even the most expensive liquids in the world, like uh, lemonade or Fiji water or uh, Coke. Even um, it, it costs hundreds of times more than that, I think. So. Now, even with that, you, uh, I don't own a printer. Okay, well, you can go to the public library and you can print out cards there for 50 cents to a dollar per page. Now, yeah, of course that adds up. You get nine pages per dollar, right? You get nine cards per dollar, I mean to say. So is that, uh, is that cost effective? So a whole deck for second edition is a minimum 60 cards, and I own no cards. Uh, a friend gave me backing cards, let's just say, just hypothetically. Uh, 60, so 9 times uh, 6 is 54, 9 times 7, so 7 pages gets you a deck, gets you the minimum number of cards you need for a deck in 2nd edition. So, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm driving like an idiot right now, I need to pay attention to the road, um, and it's snowing, which really sucks. So, um, so $7 a deck, right? That's fantastic! That's unheard of. You you could buy, yeah, sure, you could go buy a uh, call to arm starter probably for $7 or less right now. And there's a deck there. You could take it to a tournament and potentially not get last place. But now you have the ability to just go print out any 60 cards you want for $7. That's a, and I, I consider that an, um, you know, a dollar a page is probably probably about right, you know, maybe 50 cents a page or less if you have a reasonable printer at home that doesn't use terribly expensive ink, I guess. Um, and uh, I'm going to say that the cost for me to get into second edition uh, just two years ago, all the cards I bought from now till then... I'm just going to ballpark $1,000 for one of each set uh, and um, second copies of certain sets, um, even the harder to get ones. So, so I've got one of each card and several copies of several other cards. Um, I would say my collection is not complete, but I would say it is uh, robust and that I have nearly every card I need. How many cards are there in second edition right now um, from Decipher? So, ballpark, I didn't actually research this and I should have, so I apologize. Um, we'll just say 100 cards a set is about right, roughly evens out. 14 sets, 1400 cards. That's probably, is probably low, but so um, 
less than a dollar a card. Okay, fine, cool. Um, that's, you know, uh, not great, uh, considering that 60% um, of those are not rares. But uh, I have access to those, and I would imagine I also have three copies of all non-rare cards, or most of them. I know I don't, but 99% of them I probably do. So, uh, was it a good investment? Mm, I don't know. But if I had a lot of fun, absolutely. It's been amazing, and I love the time I've gotten to spend on it. But now, uh, so, right, so now you could print out every single card if you wanted to, just to think about the cost here. Um, nine cards for a dollar. So you couldn't get an entire collection uh, or an entire playset for less than the cost of what it took for me to get. Well, obviously less than the cost, but just to be, you know, I'm drilling the point home that now anyone can get into the game for a very low cost. And potentially a third of the cost it would co it cost two years ago. And as cards have increased in price and sealed product especially has increased in price, it's even less now. So, right. It, it's, yeah. So the point is driven home and it's been driven home quite well. The, the game is not free to play anymore, but it is very cheap to play. So money is no longer the, you know, why couldn't you come to the tournament? Oh, I don't have a deck. I don't own like three cards. Well, I could have loaned them to you. Well, no longer is that an excuse. You could have printed them out. Well, I don't own a printer. Well, I'll print them out for you. Come on, man. <laughs> um, now, you know, I'm kind of, I don't want to sound like a religious zealot or something, you know. Why didn't you come to church? Uh, because my car broke down. Well, I could have given you a ride, right? Well, you know, whatever. Um, but if you want to play, you know, if you truly do want to play this game, not saying you do or don't, um, but if you're listening to this game, you probably do, and you probably enthusiastically want to. And you're probably going, well, I don't really care. Um, this doesn't, you know, you're talking to the wrong audience here, Corbin. Essentially, anyone listening to this podcast probably already owns all the cards they need. So now you know that your friends who have been on the fence and said, I don't want to spend that money. Well, now they really don't have an excuse because you're going to give them a bunch of backing cards and a bunch of sleeves and maybe some paper even and maybe some ink cartridges even. What kind of printer do you have? Oh, I've got this one. Oh, well, guess what? I just shipped you through Amazon. Uh, not to go back on the whole Amazon thing. Um, anyway, um, I really am not sponsored by Amazon. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, though. Um, if I want to get my friend into Trek now, I'm not giving them cards, I'm giving them paper and ink and uh, backing cards and things like that. So, um, yeah, and I remember uh, I, I did meet someone maybe three or four years ago who was mildly interested in playing the game. And I had to tell him, you know, if you want to play this, you've got to go out and buy some cards. And I think that was the turnoff. So seriously, if this policy had been in place at that time, we would be, he would probably, he may still be playing today. I'd have no clue, but uh, that, that barrier to entry is gone. So point driven home. All right. So you are saying, I don't have any friends like that. I just want to play the game. So what does this affect for me? So second edition players, not so much, right? You know, any deck can only have three copies of a card. I already have a play set. Uh, great. Well, here's how it affects you. You can now keep decks on the shelf forever. Now, you're probably smart and said, oh, okay, well, I already did that, and I would make little 
proxies of cards, and I'd stick them in the deck, and the deck sat on the shelf, and whenever I needed to play that deck, I'd just swap it out. Well, guess what? You don't have to do that anymore. You can just keep that card copy in that deck now. Great. And when you want to take to Worlds and show off your amazing collection, your, you know, your three-foil, uh, like, Dr. Eridors or uh, Mission Accomplice or whatever, you know, you crazy expensive coot, you, you, uh, you don't have to... You're not going to print them out. You're going to go find them. But at least that deck where we're sitting on the shelf somewhere, you could just pick it up, not have to go find the card you need, and just show up at a tournament and feel good about yourself in knowing that everyone will not snicker at you when you have some printed out copy of some card that is really hard to get and that sort of thing. So I will never... uh, I, I vow today to never take apart a deck ever again uh, unless it really pisses me off or something or some ref card comes out or ref mission comes out that says that deck is no longer playable or something like that Um, so I'm I'm just not going to take decks apart anymore I'm going to probably print out the majority of my decks from now on and any easy to find cards that I know I've got a lot of copies of I'll still go find them but for me I'm not going to build decks anymore I'm just going to print decks and and I've got a nice paper cutter at home if you don't, you ought to get one. Um, I've spent probably 25, 30 bucks on mine. And it's not, you know, it is it is a little on the cheaper side, but it really does do the trick. So do do yourself a favor and get a nice paper cutter, please. And get a bunch of penny sleeves. Or if you're not, <laughs> if you're certain people in my group, don't buy penny sleeves. Go spend a few extra dollars and get some nice sleeves because you're not taking those decks apart anymore and you don't have to go fishing for that random uh, anime entrusted uh, card sleeve that has that character from that show you've never seen before. All you need to do is just keep that deck together and never worry about losing a sleeve again. Alright, so the benefits are vast and I think I've kind of gone on about that. First edition gets some extra benefits obviously. Now, no longer do you have to go shamefully to Alpha Cards and ask if they have eight copies of Howard Heirloom Candle anymore because you just found some awesome way to break that card, but you only had two copies of it or four copies of it. Now you can just print out those extra four copies of it. Now, the card that that comes to mind for me for this especially is Parallax Arguers. I am a proud owner of probably 60 or 70 copies of that card because it is so cool. It is amazing. And once Jonathan Archer came out, oh my god, I was like, well, I'm never not using this card again. And then obviously I stopped using it because, uh, yeah. But Parallax Arguers mixed with any crazy awesome drawing event, like let's see what's out there, uh, New Frontiers, Cube Special Collector to some degree, or Temporal Shifting? Temporal Shifting. Uh, yeah, th- those cards plus Parallax Arguers mean happy, happy days for cycling, so long as your opponent is willing to let you play an event. And if he's not, he can very easily clog your hand. And uh, you will score 35 points or something off of Parallax Arguers, but you're going to have to come up with some better, more interesting way to get guys in play than to draw and uh, play, you know, 14 cards a turn, uh, because that's what you were hoping to do. So anyway, I still haven't cracked that deck quite yet, but playing it has been fun and very annoying for my opponents. So, <sighs> sorry, excuse me. Um, 
so yes, you now can have 120 copies of Gift of the Tormentor and go build some janky broken deck like that if you really want. So that that's pretty cool to me. Uh, what else comes to mind? You know, players might be wondering, they might be worried uh, more that, you know, this has not been tested before. Uh, having access to any cards is um, bad for the game. And I, I haven't heard that complaint from anyone, but just in case someone does have that complaint, the argument, the counter-arguments are, there's twofold. Uh, one of them is that online play has been the testing ground for this, and there are times, I, I imagine, where someone says, oh my god, you had blah copies of that? You know, oh my god. But um, More especially, from what I understand, when Decipher playtested the game, uh, the playtesters were not limited to any card. They, there was not an, a limited, there was only unlimited copies of certain cards. So when you wanted to break something, you would go find... 40 copies of that card and, you know, do do the thing you wanted to do. Um, I'm guessing that first edition was not privy to this, but I believe second edition did have some notion of this. So, uh, no. The, the access to cards is, is not a human right. Uh, it's not a basic right. But it's a smart move by the continuing mission, the continuing committee, uh, for all these reasons. And also, hopefully, this does allow new players into the game. And I can't think of a better way of the continuing committee to say, we encourage new players to come in. And, you know, when Gen Con rolls around this year, players are going to be curious. They're always curious every year about the game. They come by and say, what are you doing? Oh, we're playing a, a, a Decipher Star Trek CCG. Oh, I remember that. Oh, that card was, that card, that card game's old. Well, guess what? We're still supporting it. Uh, how? Oh, we're, we're making new cards. And not only that, but... You don't have to buy any cards to play this game. You know what? Here's uh, here's a playtest deck. Um, let's learn. Let's have some fun. And uh, you can now just go online, search for any card, and stick it back in this deck. And um, I can't think of a better way to try to encourage new players to come into the game. Uh, and nothing is more important to this game than new players, obviously. Um, uh, and second, a second most important, obviously, is to keep retain old players. And that is a challenge that I think we are having issues with. Um, but that is a podcast for another day. Um, and it's a topic I don't want to talk about so much unless I am a little bit more educated on it. But um, in any event, great move. Uh, nothing but praise for the powers that be that came up with this idea and have now gone on with it. And, then, and if you're not familiar, uh, Charlie did in his hangout that he did uh, a few weeks ago talk about the justification for this and he said that it was because sealed product is becoming very scarce and the master of all sealed product uh, for me has been Hills Wholesale Gaming and their second edition is drying up in fact I think they are out of call to arms and that's a sign of the cards just evaporating so um Possible issues that come up with this may be the price of the cards going down. I uh, I so wish. I know I've seen someone had it before, and if you know where this is, please tell me. Someone had a tracker of eBay prices for Star Trek CCG cards over time, and I would love to go now and see, you know, 
right before the announcement of the end of the game how much certain cards cost. Now, over the five years, how much they cost with the continuing committee, and now what they're going to cost in the next few, uh, at least this year. And see, and just have some analytical data that could support, you know, whatever. My collection is going to lose 20%, my collection is going to gain 20%, my collection is, is stagnant, whatever. I just want to know and have some data to back up that, um, any of those hypotheses. In any event, uh, I'm not worried about it. Uh, Charlie claims uh, that since the printed cards are really the golden uh, ticket, if you will, they are the best possible version of a card. No, the CC will never make a card that looks better than it. Uh, we, we do not make cards. We promote the game in certain ways, but we do not you know, make new cards, uh, new printed cards at least. And if you're printing cards in a professional way, don't do that uh, for several reasons. <laughs> um, anyway, so the other, um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Will will values of cards go down over time? I have no idea. Um, and if they do, well, so what? Uh, you you you're not playing this game. You're not investing in this game to make money. At least I I hope not. If you are, well. It's called Magic the Gathering, and nice knowing you. Uh, but anyway, we we need to see... We'll, we'll see what happens. The other thing uh, that is uh, important to consider is... Oh, what was it? Um, is that... Proxy... Uh, Someone's doing, I don't know. Uh, we've got, um, right, that erratas are no longer a part of traditional, or not traditional, but virtual format. Uh, what does this mean for, what does this mean for the virtual format? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I remember experimenting with virtual format uh, before it was a thing, for first edition, and finding that a reasonable deck could be made out of cards that were printable or would be printable soon found the Guardian of Forever was actually pretty good at uh, making a, a draw engine that when paired with, um, I had some play engine, I think it was just uh, Androids, yeah, uh, Federation, so it was Federation flagship mixed with Androids and, uh, and Guardian of Forever, and it worked, it, it wasn't that bad, actually, it was an interesting deck, and uh, it gave me hope that virtual format could survive, but... I did have errated cards in the deck, and uh, because they were printable, they were strictly considered printable. So, what did, what will this mean? Uh, I don't know why that decision was made. Did playtesters have a chance, a crack at this? I, I hope they did. Any any time you add or remove cards from a format, that needs to be playtested. And if it's not, there are implications that may not be considered. This is an exception. This whole thing is kind of an exception to that. I consider if I I think it's a reasonable assumption as a game designer, uh, at least for this game, maybe not for Magic, but for this game, that if a player needs a card, they will get their hands on it however they need to. And so you must consider that when you introduce a card into a format where cards are unlimited, you have to take that into mind. Um, Out of Time has continued to be a possible 
problem uh, with this possible oversight that may not have been considered for um, in, in it may not have been considered in multiple for playtesting. Uh, I don't know if that deck has ever been tested or proven out, but as far as I know, it is possible to uh, do an unlimited sort of infinite recursion thing with that card if done correctly. Anyway, suffice it to say, things like that are taken care of because of the ban list or in the case of traditional, not traditional, traditional, uh, not traditional, but um, uh, revised. Uh, revised format with its limit of four takes care of just about every issue. And I've already done plenty of shows talking about why I think uh, revised is a, maybe not a superior format to OTF, but is definitely a formidable format to uh, take on OTF, if you will. Anyway, I think I've rambled on enough about printable cards. So, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can always drop me a line at 267-CALL-CPJ, drop me a PM at CorbinQ27 on the message boards, or shoot me an email at CorbinJohnson at me.com. As you can see today, this is an open forum for anyone who wants to discuss their thoughts on the game. Feel free to email me a soundbite at CorbinJohnson at me.com, or you can leave me a voicemail at 267-CALL-CPJ, and I will play it on the radio for you. Now, keep in mind that my voicemail apparently only has a limit of three minutes per voicemail. If you want to leave a message that's longer than that, do not hesitate to call uh, multiple times until you've got your idea across recorded on my voicemail, and I'll take care of that for you. All right. Until next time, this is Corbin Johnson signing off, saying so long and thanks for all the trek. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. To find out more about that license, visit creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash nc dash sa slash 3.0. Our theme music is Space Ace by Mark Teicher. Other songs included are Inspiration and Mission Briefing by Mark Teicher. Our outro song is Teleporter by Dungeon Kimura. You can find out more about these artists at jamendo.com. J-A-M-E-N-D-O.com. And each of those is released under the same or similar Creative Commons licenses as this podcast.